Hi, I'm Stage and Stage's Lin-Manuel Miranda, and you're listening to The Hamilcast. Boots and cuts and boots and cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to the Hamilcast. I am Jillian. Today, I am here with Deanna Weiner. Hi, hi. You are the assistant stage manager for Hamilton on Broadway. That is true. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I think you're really um, beautiful and smart and inspiring, and I love your hair. You're thank you. You're very kind. And I love your style. <laughs> and is it weird that I'm saying that your husband Gus is here? I have to say that you're here. No, it's you don't okay. Have to, you We're don't, a pair. You don't have to participate, but I can't act like you're not here. <laughs> And Gus, we were just like geeking out about Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah the Rocky Horror show. Great show. Yeah. Um, so, Deanna, let's. You've been with Hamilton for. Just about. I've been working on it since the first workshop oh I did. God. It's been about five years. Okay. I'm really, really, really excited to talk to you. I'm getting nervous as we're starting. <laughs> like, now that we're rolling, I have so many questions. Um, so, I, can we just dive into your whole story like yeah how did you know that stage managing was something you wanted to do how did you get to Hamilton like just like from the from the top as they say in your biz yeah um well I actually did not initially enter theater thinking I was going to do stage management at all mm -hmm. uh, I went to Barnard and and majored in theater but wanted to be a director uh and then I was an intern at the public theater mm -hmm back in the day uh, when I was a senior, so 2005. Wow. And uh, I was an intern for Maria Goyanis, who is just a badass lady, mm -hmm. and she was the associate producer down there. Um, so I was in the administrative office. I was making copies for readings and stuff like that, thinking that administrative theater was my ticket to, to making it happen. And um, the summer of 2006, Mother Courage in the uh, in the Park was happening, directed by George Wolfe and uh, adapted by Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori did the music, starring Meryl Streep. Um, and one day I got called into, what? I know, but I was making the copies in the, you know, in the sure. building. So I didn't really have anything to do with that. And Mandy Hackett, who's the um, associate artistic director of the public now, uh, she called me into our office and she said, listen, we got to send you down to Mother Courage rehearsals. They're having some issues uh, and you just need to do whatever the stage manager Rick says. Okay. So I said, okay, sure. So I went down and one of the actors uh, was having some issues with their with his lines and there was a lot of copying needing to be done because Tony Kushner was constantly rewriting and so it was just like a lot was happening. Um, so Rick Steiger was the PSM and he, I just did whatever he said and I ended up staying with him in the room and on the production f until opening night. And this was like the first week of rehearsal. And this was my first introduction to stage management ever. I knew stage managers existed, obviously, but I had never, it was never in my realm. Uh, and so I, all of a sudden I was in the room with Meryl Streep and with George <laughs> Wolf, who I, of course, admired so much. And I was, you know, it was a masterclass. Yeah. It was like the grad school that I didn't know that I was attending. And I loved Rick and I got along with his team and I got to see what the stage managers do. And I just kept thinking, these guys are superheroes. Yes. Like, look at all this, look at all these charts and these lists and these things. And what are they doing? And how, what are they tracking things? And, you know, I like make coffee and I made the copies and I, 
you know, pee touched things and did whatever they told me to do. I washed out the 10,000 shot glasses they used in the show every day. And, uh, I was like happier than a pig in shit because yeah. I was, you know, fetching coffee for Meryl and walk, watching her process. Meryl, you said yeah. just her first name. Meryl. Well, this was also the summer of Devil Wears Prada, so it yes. was like amazing. Oh my god! I I wanted to dive in so much that I kind of forgot to say something that I really wanted to say at the top. Not only that we're drinking bourbon called 1792. It's you did because well on brand, <laughs> because brand. But I love that you are joining the ranks of these badass women behind the scenes who have been on this podcast you guys also just have amazing hair so it's kimmy mark the dresser yep. emily roney another dresser yep. annalee craig sound guru yeah holly campbell yep. associate company manager you ladies are part of this team every single one of us has a fantasy hair color at this point yes yes and, it's amazing. and that's not that's not not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let me tell you, Holly. Holly was big in in my purple. Uh, let yeah, me tell you and that. it looks great. <laughs> um, she 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 was there via text as it was happening for the first time. She was like, send me a picture of you with the bleach. Send me another picture of the purple. So she's been when a you big came proponent. to the flea market. I actually said to Holly. I said, is this a coincidence <laughs> that you, you guys have the same hair? <laughs> she said, no. No, no, no. Um, so I just, I love, um, the listeners love it. I definitely love it. Learning how, not just Hamilton, but shows become the shows that they are. It's so much of it is behind the scenes. So that's why I'm saying people on the stage, under the stage, next to the stage, around it. Literally Across everywhere. the street or whatever. Yep. Um, but I love these badass women that are here. So thank yes. you again so much for that. So anyway, back to Meryl. Summer Back to the, the original Prada. badass woman of the moment. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Um, and your like master class of, so it was, you said the first week of rehearsal. So it was like the entire process. It was the beginning. Yeah. And so oh my God. I, again, I got there because they needed just an extra set of hands to do whatever the PSM said. Um, and I should say the, the PSM means production stage manager. And usually on a, on a big show, there's three stage managers. There's the production stage manager, the stage manager, and then the assistant stage manager. Okay. So there's three. And yeah, and Rick was the PSM. And so I did whatever he wanted. And then day two, I came in and he said, you need to change this name on the mailbox because that actor that was causing trouble actually left the production and was replaced uh, with another actor. <laughs> so uh, it was all very high drama and exciting. Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone who was in that production was brilliant and kind and amazing to watch. Uh, and again, just watching George's process was incredible and watching Rick work with George they had worked together before because Rick had done Carolina Change mm -hmm. and he had done um, Top Dog Underdog and so just like hearing from these consummate professionals about their experience working on like some of the most incredible shows and that's why I was at the public theater as an intern I you know as a junior at Barnard for for months I was knocking on the doors at the public theater saying just I just want to be an intern yeah. please hire me and Maria interviewed me and kept bringing me back and finally when I was a senior it was like a couple months into Oscar Eustace's beginning time there oh my God. so it was a really really amazing time to be there because it was like all of George's last hires were there and then Oscar was coming in and and Mother Courage was the first production George was going to direct uh, after having not been the artistic director anymore and so it was just like theater catnip theater yes. person catnip it was unbelievable and they did the 365 plays which was the public was gonna work with all these theater companies to produce a play every single day Susan Laurie Parks wrote these little you know, plays and mm -hmm. and so like you know working on the spreadsheets and behind the scenes for 365 meant that I 
got to see, you know, I learned of 365 different theater companies. Right. Yeah. And just like the sheer amount of knowledge and people that I met in that, you know, year and a half that I was an intern there was just the most incredible education ever. Yeah. It was like, it's like a master's program, not yeah. a master class. And, I mean, it's and like any, you- any young person who's like, I don't know what I want to do in theater or I want to do this in theater. I don't know how to, where to start. I said, just go intern at the public. Yeah. Do anything there, you know, work for it. Just keep your eyes open and be a good human being. And the public theater will lead you. <laughs> yes. Even if you don't know it at the time. Anyway, I, I'm not here to be an ad for the public, but that's well, truly I how mean, I feel. For me, that's how Hamilton, it was. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, it all, it, it all happens to come there, back so around like, in my story. Yeah. Of course. Um, um, where are you yeah. from originally, real quick? Minneapolis. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so I stayed with Mother Courage for until opening um, and forged a nice relationship with Rick and then toddled on in my on my merry way to to continue working in administrative theater for a hot second and then at a time when administrative theater wasn't really doing what I wanted it to do for me uh Rick called me and said hey do you want to be a production assistant on um rock and roll what does administrative theater mean necessarily for, for uh like working who, uh being like a producer's office? assistant yeah being yeah. being in the office yeah, yeah more like yeah exactly working with the producing the general management side um because what happened with Mother Courage is I was in the room watching the process and that's exactly where I wanted to be. And what I didn't realize is the access that stage managers have to the process and the amount of um, integration into the creative process that we have access to. And it's, you know, I just didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that that's how it worked. And so it really blew my mind. And I thought, oh, in my path to wanting to direct, maybe the stage management thing could be an interesting Thing to investigate and um and and here we are yes so uh <laughs> but yeah so rick called me and asked me if i wanted to be a production assistant on rock and roll which was a new uh tom stoppard play that was coming over from the west end and it was happening on broadway um i skipped a couple steps in there i should say <laughs> i i did pa a couple things off broadway okay. i did a neil labute play um and i did uh chuck me play at uh signature and but those were both like just sort of intern unpaid PA jobs and okay. just sort of me being like what am I gonna do yeah and then Rick called me and said do you want to do Broadway and I thought do I <laughs> yes <laughs> do I want to do Broadway I, mean, I was 22 I was like all I wanted in my whole life since I was you know probably three was to work on Broadway yeah. so I thought well yeah sure great yeah actually I do yeah actually I don't really know what I'm doing but I'm just gonna say yes Rick whatever you want me yep. to do. Um, and the, the team was amazing and just some really great stage managers on that show. And they were very kind and helpful and, and taught me a lot. And I wound up being on book for Rufus Sewell and, um, Brian Cox and uh. Alice Eve, and this crazy <sighs> cast and sitting next to Tom Stoppard while I corrected his words coming from these amazing actors. And it was kind of mind blowing. Can I ask you how you like it's such a responsibility and you have to focus on all these details but then there's like brian cox in front of you and meryl streep in front of you and you're human i mean you're not you're i mean i'm this is me a mere mortal asking you someone who does your job as a superhero but in that moment you're 22 and you're like these are these freaking out legends but also you can't miss anything so how do you work in that environment i mean you get better at it yeah but um I mean, people around you who are jaded and just, they're, you know, they're doing the job and they're like, who are these kids? Um, 
you know, you will not go far if you sort of can't do your work because uh, you're distracted by the power in the room, of course, to say. And that's a real thing that happens a lot, you know. And uh, so I kind of figured that out and learned mm. how to freak out quietly. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm doing it right now yeah. in front of you. So I know <laughs> it, the lack of chill is real in this in on this podcast that I feel like many people, most people who have sat on that couch are also part of Team No Chill. And it's good when you can learn how to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. It was an important <laughs> to skill to learn quickly. <laughs> I think getting lattes for Meryl Streep as my first professional mm. PA position sort of taught me quickly like you just need to be cool and treat everyone like a human sure because they are and uh and then you can move on and and get your work done yeah and I would say that you like jumped into the deep end but you were almost kind of thrown into the deep end yeah not knowing that you were gonna love it or get so much out of it or it you it was one of those life curveballs for sure Yeah. yeah I don't if I if Mandy and Maria had not sent me into that room, I mean, I really don't know what I would be doing right now. I mean, you you would you would get here because you're supposed to be here. So Hopefully, it, but it, it was it was a, a moment, way. yeah, and it was a moment that I didn't realize was a moment. So I kept going on the original trajectory, and then was like, no, 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 wait, yeah, this this seems better, yeah, um, yeah. So so doing rock and roll was unbelievable, and I learned it was during the local one strike. Uh, on Broadway, so mm-hmm. the stagehand strikes. So yes. every day was sort of take your oh my valuables God, home because you don't know if you're going to be able to get into the theater the next day. And actually, my husband, Gus, who's sitting next to me, was working across the street. I didn't know him. He was working on the Farnsworth invention. Really? Um, and so we sort of experienced this whole thing from very close proximity to each other, but not we didn't experience it together, obviously. Wow. So that was just, that's an interesting fact. Yes, anyway, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I love those little... But the Farnsworth invention was also a great show. Because <laughs> um, who doesn't love Hank Azaria? I but, mean... Yeah. If, if you do, then you need to get the hell yeah, out. Exactly. I don't want to I don't want to Not a lot on the couch. Say, um... Yeah, so there's just so it was just such an amazing show and uh, to learn about what Broadway is and like, you know, it was at the Jacobs Theater and learning what local one was and learning what state who stagehands were. I was used to off Broadway where I could touch everything. And, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, as far as props and scenery goes, (laughs) I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Um, And, uh, you know, and then to come into a union house the first time was really crazy and uh luckily I had people around me who sort of helped me understand what it all was so what were some of those differences well I mean the the set was you know this massive turntable which Hmm. when you're in the rehearsal room the turntable is well when you're in the rehearsal room and you're not one of the touring companies of Hamilton and American (laughs) Musical the turntable is a bunch of PAs running around like crazy rotating things and while the stage manager calls hold (laughs) um very fancy yeah but uh in the in the theater it was just a big set it was a big giant turntable it was an entire um like room the size like uh, walled room the size of the entire stage came flying in I had never worked on a show with automation well that's not true Mother Courage had automation but I did not have much to do with it can you explain what that is yeah automation is uh was actually what what, what? Gus does uh is um when the scenery the set on stage moves mm-hmm. so like uh the turntable in Hamilton um 
show, big, big shows like Wicked, you know, all the flying scenery, things that move in and out without a uh, person pushing it. Right. Um, so it's like a computer automated system that uh, is rigged and built by wonderful stagehands and carpenters for weeks and weeks <laughs> before uh, any of us get into the theater right. that, you know, overseen by like the technical directors and stuff like that right and it's all computer operated all the automation and stuff like that cool yeah so um it's very complicated and big and heavy and scary yeah. and, and uh complex and i leave it to the stagehands like us yeah um but it's, we have to know quite a lot about it because sure. we are very integral in making sure it's you know user-friendly with what's happening on stage hamilton has is not a big show uh as far complicated it's not a complicated show scenically um Scenically. Sure, yeah, I'm sure David Corns, you know, talked a lot about it. But uh, we have two. It's a donut turntable. Mm-hmm. So the inner the inner turntable and the outer can go different directions. Right. And they sometimes they travel together. And then we have um, the staircase that comes in at the opening, which is actually not automated for us. It's manual fly. So it's a, a uh, our guy Ronnie up in the uh, fly floor pulling some ropes mm-hmm. um, on the tours, though. And in Chicago, it is automated. Really? Just just an interesting difference. Um, yeah. I didn't we know have uh, the lanterns that come in and out for the winter's ball and yes. stuff like that. That's all automated. That's fly automation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was the cap of the wine bottle. Is that bottle your wine bottle? That just... It was really excited about it. But wait, wait, wait. But you haven't even told me how you got to Hamilton yet. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So we have I to... keep getting... I keep diverging. No, and um, it's, it's fine, but I'm, I'm working on keeping myself on track. So I'm <laughs> trying to... I want to... Let's get to Hamilton and then we'll okay. talk about all okay. those things. Because then we have a ton of questions from the Patreon peeps. Everyone is in awe of you. So, yeah. Question. Okay. <laughs> the wine okay, is keeping on track. Out. Yeah. The it's wine like, is opening itself <laughs> up. so weird. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I did rock and roll. Right. And then I, uh, well, a little, the next year I did a little show called 13. Mm-hmm. Jason Robert Brown's 13, mm-hmm. which is where I met Gus. This guy. That's where I met uh, a lot of people who, you know, uh, want to couple of my best friends, couple of stage managers I worked with a bunch of times yeah. because it was such a weird, crazy show with all the kids yeah. that all the adults just like really bonded. <laughs> Clearly. Yes. I mean, we just sure. really, really bonded. Um, and, you know, who knew that that show was going to birth people like Ariana Grande to the world? I mean, but a lot of really talented, really, really talented kids in that show. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I did 13. I did um, War Horse. Uh, which was amazing. Yeah. So I, I basically was a production assistant for the next five years, just wow. trying to like, just bouncing from show to show. I did a lot of shows at the public as a production assistant. And then I, you know, was very lucky to be able to do shows off Broadway and then do some Broadway, which was really, really awesome for yeah. me as far as just getting an education in the craft of stage management. Sure. And especially because the job is, it's the same, but it's a little bit different when you're part of the, um, you know, you're part of like the scenic changes and you're part of like props where you're part of the crew off Broadway. It's just a little bit different. And Mm -hmm. then on Broadway, you're not allowed to be part of the crew as far as touching props. So you're supervising a lot of guys and some gals on, you know, making sure they're doing it and Uh stuff like that. And, you know, and things just are a little bit heightened when you get to sort of big, expensive commercial theater. Sure. Um, Not that they're not heightened in not so expensive (laughs) and not for profit theater either, but um, so I just tried to bounce back and forth with, you know, I got to work on some amazing shows. I got to work on, um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross oh with God. Al Pacino, which was amazing. And, uh, 
Matilda, which was incredible. Uh, and so sort of working my way into sort of being on contract right. as a as a stage manager, as an assistant stage manager, just sort of trying to amass as many shows and experiences as possible. Yeah. It sounds like you were just working constantly, like going from gig to gig to gig to gig, like I, yeah. truly nonstop. Yeah, it was, I again, very lucky. And, <laughs> and, you know, I never worked on a show that I didn't also believe in. Um, oh, that I didn't also awesome. think was artistically something very interesting and, sure. and wanted to be in those rooms. Every yeah. single show I've worked on is a room that I was grateful to be a part of, which yeah. is amazing. You know, I did Driving Miss Daisy with um, Vanessa Redgrave and James Earl Jones. And it was just like, and Boyd Gaines and, you know, just these incredibly wonderful ridiculous legends. Yeah. Um, I have a question. If there are people who are listening and I know that there are and, and women especially, what would you say to someone who wants the experience but maybe doesn't love the show would you tell them to stick it out for like what like when do you give up on something <laughs> that you don't believe in but it's like you kind of need that experience yeah. I think What's that the there's line? again I'm gonna say I was lucky because it doesn't always happen that you can work on a show and gain experience yeah. you know not I'm not saying that every experience was a bed of roses or anything like that no everything had its challenges but looking back and it's easier to say this looking back than while you're in it obviously but everything is happens in your life for a reason I truly believe that and you know there's a lot of times where you're given option a or option b you know specifically for me there was a big one and it has to do with Hamilton so I'll get there mm-hmm. but uh you know I, if I choose this show or this show what is it gonna bring for me yeah. you know um and if there's a show that you don't is not good, which happens to all of us in some way, we work on something that isn't necessarily the greatest show ever. You have to look at it for what it can bring to you, right? Uh, either professionally or personally. Um, again, like on thirteen, you know, the people I worked with were incredible, and I got to meet so many, so many people, and, and most of them are still in my life. Ten years later, it was yeah. just the ten year anniversary of thirteen this past October, so to look at how many people from that show are still actively in my life yeah. and who I love, like that's crazy. Yes. You know, not every show brings you that kind of a family, but sure. that show, I never would have guessed it. But you know, at the time I thought Jason Robert Brown, I'm obsessed with the last five years. Of course. Yes. Great. Anything. Yeah. Um, and you know, a Broadway musical, I was so excited to work on it for those two reasons. And the two things that I have now from that show have nothing to do with those two facts. Right. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's like, and I never could have, predicted that at the time right um so there's always something that you can gain from a show or an experience or a job and if there isn't then and you really 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 are looking at it for what can I get from this well then maybe at that point you should yeah yeah reassess I guess yeah but I was I was pretty lucky I even got to work I was the band PA for Roadshow which was Sondheim's newer musical at Mm -hmm. the public uh back during the 13 days and I yeah, I'll never forget. I went back to 13 <laughs> for the last six weeks as a child wrangler because I did that a little bit to just earn some more cash because mm-hmm. you may not expect it, but being a production assistant isn't the highest paid gig there is. You know, <laughs> I believe you. Yeah. But so I was a child wrangler on 13 for the last six weeks, which basically meant that I like yelled at the kids for making out with each other and was like, I need to see your dressing room doors open uh-huh. and oh like, my clean God. your room because they were all 13 to 17 years old. And so like create, you know, those like artsy they were theater kids. kids. Yeah. Totally. So they all were dating each other. Yeah. They all were oh. figuring out themselves Ugh. literally. And any one of them that listens to this will 
agree with me <laughs> Ariana on that. Grande, uh, yeah. clearly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, it was a weird child wrangling job because it was not like babysitting at all. I was going to say, because they're not like They don't like need help kids. getting to their place. I mean, they, they need are, help like but they're keeping their priorities clear and their hands in the room. to themselves. <laughs> I mean, I literally look. I I don't envy. I don't envy you for that. It was weird. It must have but been. But it was bena- great. I mean, yeah. So in between, <laughs> on a two show Sunday, Sondheim invited everyone from Roadshow over to his house, and what? I wasn't. I was working at thirteen, so I was like, oh my god, how am I going to make this work? And but thirteen was ninety blessed ninety minutes long, <laughs> and um, anyway, so it was that was just one of the crazier days of my life when I like wrangled some kids, got in a cab. Went to East 70, whatever, street. So you made street. it to Sondheim's. Yeah. Touched the um, the Leonard Bernstein piano, had a glass of wine, had a crudite, said goodbye to Sondheim, got in a cab, and got back to the theater to finish wrangling a bunch of 13-year-old kids. Wait. And it was very funny. How did... Wait, wait, wait. I didn't know you had to go back to the theater. I had to go back. It was a two-show day. We had five-show weekends. What is your life? And I, in between wrangling Ariana Grande, in you're like going I should have been Sondheim's like, is house. there a sub? In hindsight, I should have called out, but, (laughs) but now you have the story, but yeah. And I just, it was, um, it was a day. Wow. It was a bit of a day. It was a bit of a day. What a way to spend a day. It was what a way. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, that also has nothing to do with why we're talking about me getting to Hampton. So, well, um, it kind of does because it's just a good story. Lynn loves a good Sondheim story, Lynn, if you're I am nothing if not just a theater kid. (laughs) Um, With a resume for days, which is amazing. Well, like I said, it was a really good 10 years. Yeah. Um, so I was working on Matilda. I was subbing, which means, um, you know, stage managers who want to take a day off or who get sick or who take a vacation or whatever, you know, you have understudies for actors, but stage managers have their subs or substitute stage managers. So basically you train a bunch of other awesome stage managers in, um, your deck track or you train them to call the show and they come in and fill in for you basically. So you can call out, you can, you can miss a show as one of the main stage managers and a sub will come in. What's a deck track? So a deck track is, uh, the stage manager who's on the stage or sometimes, you know, under the stage or above the stage or whatever. But the stage managers who are on deck means they're the ones making sure the crew are doing their jobs. The props are set correctly. The Mm -hmm. cast is, you know, getting to their place. Sometimes you have cues where you're watching pieces fly in or out and you're giving clears to the carpenters. Sometimes you are flashlighting a dark corner or a dangerous thing. Sometimes you're watching a quick change and making sure it's happening in enough time. Um, It's basically you are supervising the stage. Uh You know, um, sometimes there's a stage manager on each side. Sometimes, you know, you get the big complicated shows where you have a stage manager on each side of the stage and in the basement watching the traps. And then all communicating with each other. All on headset. We're always on headset with each other. And we're always on headset with the calling stage manager. And the calling stage manager is uh, in their script. And in their script are all the cues, all the lighting cues, all the automation cues. All You know, if there are sound cues that are cued by us, all that stuff. And so the calling stage manager is like constantly talking and cueing the whole show live each show. That's one of my very favorite ham for hams. Oh, Jason. Yes, yeah. calling 10 dual commandments. This is our incredible stage manager, Jason Bassett. He's going to be on mic while the rest of us do a musical number, and you're going to hear him call the show. All right. Warning out of deck 45 on the red, 46 on the blue, 47 on the yellow, lights 450. Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Automation. It's the ten dual commandments. It's the ten dual commandments. Lights 452. 
Number one, the challenge demands satisfaction. Like if they apologize, no need for further action. Nope. Number two, they don't grab a friend that's your second. Like Lieutenant, when there's reckoning to be reckoned. Nope. Number three, have your second like speak five. face to nope. face. Negotiated peace. Or negotiated like time and place. This is commonplace, especially between the nope. Most disputes like die and no one shoots. Number four, they don't reach a peace, that's alright. Time to get some pistols and the doctor on site. You pay him in advance, you treat him with civility. You have him turn around so he can have deniability. So cool. Like a tiny little percent of me still thinks about that ham for ham whenever I call 10 Dual Commandments. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because it's just, it was so, you know, the, the early days, everything was kind of like iconic. Yeah. And uh, the ham for hams were such an amazing part of that <laughs> first year. So... Yeah, um, but that is exactly what calling the show is. It's it's cueing the show. Right. And Hal Binkley's incredible design, you know, there's a lot of light cues and they're all amazing um, and somebody has to cue them. Somebody mm -hmm. has to call them. Right. So, so right. So there's a calling stage manager. There's, for us, it's just one stage manager on deck each night. We for go, Hamilton? Yeah, we go between stage right and stage left. Okay. Um, but some shows, again, have like two people at the same time on deck. And then we have one stage manager who's in the office. So Got we it. all rotate through those positions. Okay. Anyway, we can talk more about yes. that fun yes. stuff later. But oh um, so yeah, so I was subbing at Matilda, which means that I, anytime one of those stage managers had a, a personal day or was sick or was out for a vacation or whatever, they would call me or some other of the folks and uh, we'd come in and, and do the track for them. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have a full-time gig, but I was subbing at Matilda and I was emailing um, some people I know at the public theater saying, hey haven't worked with you guys in a while, would really love to just like, whatever you got, just keep me in mind, you know? And you like, when you're looking for gigs, you send out those emails mm -hmm. every six months, every a year, however long, and you sort of keep connections, you know, going. Um, and like I said, I worked at the public a lot over the course of the eight years prior, but you know, there was turnover. And so I really wanted to get back in with them. Um, and I got a call to do a couple of like one day readings because they just do so much work at the yes, public. Yes. Um, so many artists come through there. They're constantly doing readings yeah. constantly. Which is why it's such really an extraordinary place. Absolutely. And Emily Roney was saying the same thing too, where it's like, if you want to do anything, like start at the public, the public, she, she credits the public so much with, with so many things. And I, I think it's because of what you just said. It, they're yeah. constantly creating yeah. all the time. Everyone, like what I witnessed when I was there 13 years ago and still today is everyone goes through those doors. Right. So yeah. So I started doing some like one day readings, just anything and everything to just sort of like be in the building and working with the people. Um, and then one of the production managers, Katie Joy, um, asked me if I would do a 29 hour reading, which is a um, sort of a level of a workshop mm -hmm. basically. So it's like the actors can work 29 hours and that's it. So as the stage manager, you have to track their hours and it's basically just to limit, you know, how much you can do just to say that this is a developmental process. Right. You can't stage the full show on this contract. This particular contract is meant to just develop some of the, the script or the music or whatever. So she asked me to do a 29 hour reading of the Hamilton mixtape. And I and I looked at who was you know directing it, and it was Lynn. And I was like, oh cool, I saw Heights. Yeah. With Lynn, you know, um, I knew who Tommy was, um, and I knew that the work he was doing was very exciting. So I was like, yeah, cool. 
And I remember um, Julianne, who, um, Julianne Arbiter, she was my PA on a couple of these readings that I was doing. She was new to the public as well and had been around in the production management office a little bit. And I told her, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. I was like, you know, I think you're going to be my PA. She's like, oh, yeah, they're talking about it in the office a lot. They said it's pretty good. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh, my God. And the, I had no idea. I love these <laughs> stories, hearing people saying like, so there was this thing. Yeah. And yeah. it was a mixtape and it was this thing. And people were like, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Or like, yeah. I don't really know what it is, but like, I kind of want to be involved. I love hearing, I have chills thinking about it because like, it is it a true is one of those things. Look at where you are, look at where yeah. you started kind of thing. Like, totally. They're talking about it in the office. Yeah. Like, what? People think it's pretty are. good. Yeah. Yeah. This mixtape, um, 29 hours. Like, oh my God. Yeah. And this uh, one stage manager I knew, I told, you know, he's like, oh, what are you up to? And I said, oh, I'm going to do this reading of uh, the Hamilton mixtape. He said, oh, have you seen the YouTube video? And this was, again, this was like uh, winter 2013. And I said, uh, no. He said, well, go Google Lin-Manuel Miranda White House. I was like, okay. Mm. And I did. And I was like, oh, wow. wow. This is cool. I don't know what this is, like, you know, as a, as a piece. But, like, this, uh, this is a great great rap, you know? <laughs> cool. Um, I really and, like that guy on the piano, too. I wonder yeah, yeah, what his yeah. deal is. He's got some really great curls. <laughs> yeah. Is that Weedon? How does he keep them so bouncy? Yeah, what's happening there? Um, is that Tommy Kale or no? No, no, no. no. <laughs> From behind, it's difficult to tell sometimes. And every day while slaves were being slaughtered or carted away across the waves, our Hamilton kept his guard up. Inside, he was longing for something to be a part of. The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter. Then a hurricane came. Devastation reigned and our man saw his future drip, dripping down the drain. Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain. And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain. Well, the word got around, they said, this kid is insane, man. Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education, don't forget from whence you came. And the world is gonna know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. His name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things he hasn't done But just you wait, just you wait When he was 10, his father split Yeah, so I watched it and that's sort of the first time I ever really got an inkling about that this could be a thing. Um, and so it was, we did this 29-hour reading. It was only act two. It was only through, I want to say burn. So it was, what did I miss through burn? Wow. David Pippa, who was doing, God bless, was doing uh, <laughs> Comet at night in the tent. Uh, her stories were always amazing. Oh, yeah. I um, you know, and it was it was Lack and Tommy and Lynn and Javi played uh, Philip Schuyler or not Philip. Um, yeah. Philip Hamilton. He played Philip. He also played PG3 uh, occasionally, yeah, he right? He did. Yeah. He also sang some King George. Uh, and that's the first time I met Javi. And it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was like eight of us, eight eight actors, and me and and my assistant and Julianne, and uh, just working on music. And in this little room on East Fourth Street, we were across the street from New York Theater Workshop. And I just remember being in that room and hearing this music, and just sort of looking around <laughs> and going, "Is is it me, or is this like the best? These are like the best songs I've. These are really good with." context of only act two yeah like no no idea no idea what was yeah in like no one. lafayette like straight jefferson yeah. just i mean i you know seeing david do do jefferson <laughs> like, i was like no oh, he's really good yeah where, is he, where did he come he's from quick that guy yeah um yeah 
And so it was, and like that was like the original, not original, but the earlier version of Burn was in that reading. Mm-hmm. Um, Cabinet Battle 3 had already been cut. Oh, so, wow. So before this, so this reading was the first thing that the public produced of Hamilton. Right. So, Ham, so the public had just, um, through Jeremy McCarter, you know, and Oscar, uh, the public had just said, we're going to produce this. And so prior to that had been the workshop at New York Stage and Film, mm-hmm. which was only act one. And if Tommy's listening and I'm wrong, then <laughs> I'm sure I'll find out about He's it. He's listening on 1.5. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, Vassar was before that. And then there had been the American Songbook yes. uh, concert oh, yes. that James had done. Mm-hmm. The plan is to fan this spark into a flame. But damn, it's getting dark. So let me spell out the name. I am the A-L-E-X-A-N-T-E-R. We are meant to be a colony that runs independently. Meanwhile, Britain keeps shitting on us endlessly. Essentially, they tax us relentlessly. And King George turns around and runs a spending spree. He ain't ever gonna set his descendants free. So there will be a revolution in this century. And to me, he said it parentheses. Don't be shocked when your history books mentions me. I will lay down my life if it sets us free. Eventually, you'll see my ascendancy. And I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. And you won't just like my country. I'm young, scrappy. But the public theater, the first time they ever produced anything of Hamilton, was this 29-hour reading in December of 2013 in this tiny little blue room uh, across the street from New York Theater Workshop. And it was special. I didn't realize how special it was, really, but it felt special. And I felt, you know, I just... Tommy was incredible to work with. Lack was incredible. Lynn was... Like, everyone was so nice. Yeah. I just was floored by how nice everyone was plus the material was unbelievable yeah and all the actors were just gorgeous and nice <laughs> and it was the holidays so Javi made Javi's parents made coquito yes coquito and that was the first time I'd ever had coquito and I remember we all got slightly tanked after the sure. after the last presentation yeah uh and I had like six heart attacks because the music stands kept sinking <sighs> and like that was the one thing that Tommy was like can we just get some music stands? <laughs> like he didn't ask for much. Uh-huh. Like I think he wanted like binder rings and some halls. And can we just get the music stands yeah. to stay up? And so there's a lot of music stand ninjaing and tiny heart attacks that happened. It's but funny. it happened. It's funny that you mentioned that about the music stands because my uh, my husband has a Christmas play. It's called Twas the Night. And when we put it up, there was a damn music stand that just was not working and so tommy kale yet another thing you and i have in common <laughs> we just want the- it is very frustrating it, yes just stay up the other ones seem to be I know. fine and that's why i was like i feel you man like yes. can we just get a music stand to stay yeah. the fuck up and now every time you work on something those music stands i promise are gonna be up oh you're just you oh we pre-check them <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like when it was over were you kind of like oh i miss it like how, like then it and then the the workshop ended and it was act yeah. two, and you were like now what yeah now what um yeah absolutely it oh also i just have to mention that like when everyone started coming into the room together for the first time everyone knew each other Mm -hmm. but i didn't know anyone but you know i knew that some of them had done heights together but i didn't know it was the first time i actually really witnessed what it was to be a part of the family yeah that is the tommy lynn lack heights world family Mm -hmm. um 
you know, I was just like, wow, they're all really friendly. Like the first time Lynn saw Javi, he like, you know, literally knocked him to the floor and climbed on top of right. him. And I was like, oh, they like each other. They, <laughs> like, they really are friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just the way that those three guys sort of set the tone and the mood yes. for the room was actually, you know, knocked me on my on my ass as much as the material did right. because it was I had never witnessed such a wonderfully creative warm and giving room yeah and you had never met them before I had never met them you were just there I was blindly assigned wow. this position yeah by once again Katie Joy yes um <laughs> who Angel, uh who like master of the universe who trusted who, me enough to put me into this room and oh honestly I pretty much can never thank her enough for that Katie um, Joy. Wow. and yeah so it was just totally like I'd done a string of these little one day readings and then I got to do this 29, 29 hour reading yeah. um, and what was it like for you I'm sorry what was it like for you to feel that welcoming as someone who's like I've never met these people and they all know each other that's a scary place to walk into especially when you know yeah. like this is the in the heights fam yeah. and they all know each other and that would scare I would be well, what was cool, though, about Act 2 is, and again, Tommy, you can correct me, but um, <laughs> bad, bad. Tommy, can you hear me? <laughs> jokes coming in. I know. Anyway, I'm um, anticipating a group text with me. You I know, Tommy. I know. <laughs> uh, um, you know, is that I think this was one of the first times that they had put uh, Act 2 on its feet at mm -hmm. all or sung through Act 2 in any sort of real way. So there was still very much this like, we have these songs and we haven't like really heard them together. Right. So it still felt like very crackly and, and as in like electric crackles, sure. yeah, you know, no, new and, and, um, and exciting. It wasn't like, Oh, we've heard this, you know, on the, all these other times and now we're doing it in this room. It was like, Oh, now we're hearing this for the first time. Like, you know, no John Trumbull hearing that for the first time. What? Like it was, also, just have to add, like, my favorite musical, one of my favorite musicals as a kid was 1776. Uh -huh. So to be in the room with these guys as an adult person, kind of <laughs> adult person, working on a hip hop musical about the Revolutionary War, mm -hmm. like I did a learning fair project about the Revolutionary <laughs> War when I was, you know, eight. Oh, my God. And then I, like, made everyone in my eighth grade or in my... um like second grade class watch 1776 like it just felt yeah. like this kismet right thing. so you believe me now when I say you would have been there anyway well as something I don't know maybe as I would have sold something. merch I'm not sure but like something I would have made uh, yes I would have definitely if I hadn't worked on Hamilton I would have probably tried to see it have seen it like 10 times sure um at least at least but yeah, so just that was crazy and and no John Trumbull and all these things about, you know, all these references. And, and one of the things that I joked about with Lynn really early on was like, OK, cool, man, you wrote all this great stuff. But when are you going to put in the 1776 reference? And he was always like, it's coming. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. And then and then fast forward. It's there. John, you fat so right after the 29 hour work uh, reading ended, I knew that there was a two week workshop brewing, but you know, I didn't want to like overly push myself on top of the public theater, but I made it known that I was interested, obviously. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, sad to say in between the 29 hour reading and the two week workshop, my dad actually passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. So it was a really intense time in my life yes. um, that was bookended in this crazy way by Hamilton, yeah. which is which is part of the reason why Hamilton, part of the many reasons why Hamilton means so much to me. Because, 
you know, working on the workshop really, or the, the reading really helped me sort of get through a time when my dad was really sick. Mm-hmm. I went home in between uh, and he passed away. And the evening of his funeral, I got a call from Katie asking me if I wanted to do the two week workshop, which, you know, it was intense. It was, it was like the universe was literally knocking on my door saying something has ended in your life and this thing is, is opening another door to you. So yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I was so, so, so happy and so sad and, you know, so, and all the things and and it really, you know, the two week workshop was happened. I got back and a week later I was in the room again with these guys and then it was my birthday. And then it was like, so all these things happening, which is one of the reasons why the Dear Theodosia reprise is really hard for me to watch because I heard it for the first time uh, two weeks after my dad had passed. And it's, you know, about somebody passing and right. about like the dreams they have for their yeah. kid. Sure. And so I was like, oh, good God, Lynn, what have you done to yeah, me? Yeah, what have you done? Um, and honestly, that workshop really helped me sort of get back on track and get focused again uh, in life things because it was just such a really hard time. Deanna is just the best, and I'm telling you, there are so many more stories. So next week, Deanna talks about what happened after that 29-hour workshop. She gives insights to the development of the show that I promise you're going to want to hear. I'm talking early sets, transitions, costume ideas, not to mention watching Hamilton grow into the phenomenon it is today and being a spy on the inside, if you will. And who am I kidding? Of course I will. So thank you, as always, so much for listening. And Tommy, I mean it. I welcome any and all corrections. Let me know. You know where to find me. All right, that's it for me. Thank you guys again. I love you. I'll talk to you so soon. I'm G.Pen. is brought to you by my love of the thing TM and my complete lack of chill please join me in raising all the glasses to Sir Alex Lackamore for generously making my intro music and this custom Yorktown arrangement that I will never ever get over thank you thank you thank you to become a Patreon peep and get the chance to ask questions to guests get tons of behind the scenes access and join the best kindest and most welcoming corner of the internet go to patreon.com slash the Hamilcast. I love you guys. Thank you. Hashtag team no chill. I'm at the Hamilcast on all social media and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Residuals is my web series with my husband, Mike, you know, Mike, and can be found at the residuals.tv. True Crime Obsessed is my true crime comedy podcast with my podcast soulmate and Broadway royalty, Patrick Hines of theater people and Broadway backstory fame. Thank you again so much for listening. It means the world to me. To the revolution! revolution.